everyone. Welcome into the GPS show. It's a Tuesday night. The Elite Eight is just wrapping up, getting ready for the final four in the NCAA tournament alongside Scott Pirak. I'm Gabe Gottesman here, as always, bringing you the GPS show. And Scott, big day for sports, obviously. The NCAA tournament wrapping up. How is your bracket doing so far? That is not to be discussed, Gabe. Um, I had Illinois, <laughs> I had, I had Illinois winning it all. Uh, I'll leave it at that. It's been that type of year, I guess. Yeah, besides my Oral Roberts pick, I had one bracket. I picked Oral Roberts, but other than that, no one really cares because it's been it's been a tough year, obviously. I mean, I had Texas Tech in the final four. I had Illinois winning it too. It's just a, it's just tough. You can never seem to get it right. All those bracketologists, they really don't know what they're doing. I don't know how they get a job, to be honest with you, because no, it's all it's all just dumb luck, really. Good luck. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean through through the round of through the sweet sixteen, my dog was winning my family bracket. That, Dang. that my dog still is to this to right now. I think my dog is winning the bracket just by picking all the little animal mascots. Okay, so you can also listen to our show if you're listening right now on 88.9 The Bridge. Um, you can listen to our show on Spotify. Just search up the GPS show. And then if you're listening to it on Spotify right now, we are on um, KMIH 88.9 The Bridge from 5 to 6 on Tuesdays and Fridays. So, Scott, let's get right into the news here, starting off with a this show we want to do kind of a, a closure on free agency in the NFL because now the NFL draft is less than a month away, and we have – a lot of a lot of big news to discuss because there's a lot of shape shifting going around with teams in the NFL. But we want to start with the Seattle Seahawks because that's our team, of course. And Scott, I think a lot of people around the league think the Seahawks had a pretty underrated free agency. I, I think maybe a lot of times fans get a little bit upset with how the Seahawks go about the draft and free agency. Usually, they don't make a lot of huge signings. Besides that, Jamal Adams trade. Usually they just kind of build up through lower picks in the draft and surround Russell Wilson with some guys that they hope can be the next Richard Sherman or the next Doug Baldwin, those late round picks. But how, what were your overall thoughts on free agency before we get into the, uh, the actual pickups for Seattle? You know, if you asked me that maybe one or two weeks ago, I would say I am disgusted by how bad it's gone after kind of the first wave of free agents went. But now that you're asking me now, I think it's kind of been, as you said, a little underrated. And what I like is the Seahawks have been able to keep the players they wanted. The only player that they really lost that I would have liked to see them possibly resign is Shaquille Griffin. And KJ Wright is still on the market. So I'm not quite sure where the discussions are there. But they got Chris Carson back. And they got Carlos done that back. Those were the two I really wanted to see come back. And then Gabe Jackson, like you said, who really is one of those players in the NFL that is kind of underrated. I mean, last year, I think he didn't actually give up a sack, if I'm correct. So I I am happy with their signing so far. Yeah, they, they did. I like the trade for Gabe Jackson. They didn't have to give up a bunch either. Also, they signed 49ers cornerback Akella Witherspoon maybe filling in that role. Obviously Dunbar came in. He was a pro bowler the year before they have Trey flowers. I want to say he exists as a player, but I don't know if I can go that far. Now they're just missing a corner. I think they need to sign one more corner 
or offensive line. I'm not quite sure how much money they have left because um, they also signed Kerry Hyder on a two-year deal. They can void the third year. But they did cut Darren Reed, so I'm, I'm interested to see where they go with the money. Obviously, I, I'm not sure I'm in love with the, uh, with the Chris Carson pickup because I really feel I'm one of those people you either go, oh, running backs are super undervalued, or you can just always pick up a new one. And with all the injuries that that Carson has had, I'm not sure if it's worth it uh, to spend more money than just a rookie contract. They got him on a three-year deal worth $24 million. So you're saying up to $8 million a year for a running back that we haven't seen consistently play a 16-game season. But when he is healthy, he can obviously be a huge difference maker. He's a power back. He's the closest thing to Marshawn Lynch we're going to get right now. When he does play, he's very consistent. And um, I really like the Carlos Dunlap signing. Of course, everyone's got to love that one. He, When Jamal Adams came back and Carlos Dunlap came to the team from the Cincinnati Bengals, that really is what turned the defense around. And I, I think that was an amazing signing to pick him up for even less money than what they uh, had originally. He signed a two-year deal worth $16 million. So for a pass rusher, especially a guy that's not totally out of his prime yet. I think that was a really good pickup. They There are reports that Antonio Brown could come to Seattle. I, I don't think it will happen. Yeah, I think he's going to stay with Tampa Bay. Tom Brady is is just almost – Well, they brought back their whole team. They he's have all godlike. They starters back. Tom Brady, you can go to Tom Brady. He, he can fix your life in a heartbeat, and I think that's what Antonio Brown sees in Tom Brady. I don't think – he would leave. I don't blame him for staying with Tampa Bay, but I, I like the Seahawks free agency uh, signings for sure. If they can maybe get one more offensive lineman in the draft in the second or third round, I think that would really encapsulate this solid free agency. I, I think this team has gotten better. Gerald Everett also, the tight end, uh, he's more of a receiving tight end that is faster than Greg Olson better pass catcher. He's well, Greg Olson's not on the team anymore. Right. I'll make that clear. He's retired. Right. Uh, I'm saying, I was saying replacing that role of Greg Olson. He's actually probably a better player than the aging Greg Olson. I think Gerald Everett was, is a young guy from the Rams who could really become another vertical threat along with DK Metcalf. Cause he's, he's fast and he can get down the field. So I really like that signing as well. I think my favorite so far, kind of one that no one's talked about, was the Kerry Hyder. Um, last year, he had eight and a half sacks. He's kind of in shadow because he's behind Nick Boza. But if we're, or, yeah, Nick Boza. But if we're being realistic, there's really only five or six defensive ends who are better than Nick Boza, and everyone else is shadowed behind him. So I think this was kind of a sneaky free agent signing by the Seahawks. I like I think he's my favorite along with Dunlap because I think that kind of fills the hole for Reed and leaving. And then I wouldn't the one thing I would say is I would like to see him bring in a corner. I mean, Richard Sherman is still on the market. Um, Patrick Peterson unfortunately went to the Vikings. That would be uh, weird. What do you what are your thoughts on them possibly bringing back Richard Sherman? I'm curious because I, I think it would be very odd. It wasn't as bad as the Earl Thomas divorce departure but but Richard Sherman he left Seattle not on the greatest of terms with Russell Wilson I think it would be very interesting to see how that would shake up the locker room because 
right now, Russell Wilson's become the alpha in, in Seattle. And I think bringing another guy where Richard Sherman may uh, still be in that headspace of 2013 when it was the defense that was winning championships and Russell Wilson was kind of an afterthought. Uh, and I think that would be possibly doing more harm than good for a guy that's definitely out of his prime at a position where younger is, is better. I mean, I think it's hard. I do think they need to sign some corner or some, I mean, Trey flowers is your corner. One is not going to be viable. <laughs> I mean, we saw it this year when they went up against good teams, we saw Cooper cup had a hundred yard game. Josh Allen went berserk I on mean, Seattle. Yeah, they were the 32nd ranked pass defense for most of the season for good reason. So I think they need to bring in a corner. I don't really, I mean, I agree with you. I'm not quite sure if Richard Sherman's the best one. Maybe even just bring back Quentin Dunbar. Also, I, I would say generating a pass, pass rush was one of those big problems that kind of fell on the secondary more. But you're right, Shaquille Griffin was injured, and that's when it was worse, and now he's going to be gone. So I think you're right. Bringing another corner is very important. But Scott, I want to move on to the biggest news, not from Seattle, uh, of uh, maybe even including Seattle, because it has to do with a division rival, a team that is really going to be the, I think, the biggest rival for the Seahawks for maybe even 50 years to come with who they have is the head coach, Kyle Shanahan. The 49ers trading up in the draft, getting the number three pick, kind of came out of nowhere. We knew that, Shanahan didn't love Jimmy Garoppolo because of his injuries. Well, but, not just his injuries. That is an inconsistent quarterback. Yeah, but I mean, when he's on the field, they got to the Super Bowl in his second year. When he's on the field, they they feel like they can be in every single game with that run attack they have with the West Coast offense. I, yeah, but that's my point is I think the reason they got to the Super Bowl is because they had a three-headed monster in the backfield, and then they could throw a five-yard pass to Kittle who can turn – any sort of five-yard pass and do a 50-yard catch. Here's, here's what I, I'll I, say. I would say that we've seen it. It's a pattern that isn't just an anomaly uh, in the NFL where there's the Super Bowl is always a team that has a QB on a rookie contract and then Tom Brady. That's always what the Super Bowl is. This year, Mahomes and Brady. Last year, that was kind of a weird year, but it was Garoppolo and Mahomes, who was again on a rookie contract. Then the year before, we have what was that? Then, yeah, Jared Goff, Tom Brady. Year before, Carson Wentz, but it turned out to be Nick Foles and Tom Brady. Matt Ryan was kind of a, a weird year there. No, I mean, he was the MVP that year. Yeah, I'm just saying that was one of the only years that we haven't seen a guy on a rookie contract. So I think that's where the 49ers are going. They already have a superstar defense. Now they're saying we can get a guy. Maybe uh, Zach Wilson falls in our lap. Maybe we go for Trey Lance or Justin Fields. And there's even reports that they're going for Mac Jones, which I think would be a huge surprise if Mac Jones, they, if they reach that far to get Mac Jones, I would think that he would be available at the 49ers pick at 12 anyway, but they trade up. So I think they're going to get one of those three guys. And Scott, if they, if this works out in the second year, let's say they just get Trey Lance because that's, I think who they will end up getting because Zach Wilson's probably going to go number two to the Jets. They you will think have. Zach Wilson will go number two. I, I do think the Jets will draft Zach Wilson. I'm I'm ninety five percent sure because with that pro day, I I don't think he should go number two. I would honestly stick with Sam Darnold if I were the Jets and trade back. But um, that's who they're probably going to end up taking. Getting Trey Lance or Justin Fields for 
I don't know, $8 million a year, you can build even more pieces on that defense. You have George Kittle, you have the scheme that any running back can fill in. Raheem Mostert's done well. You can maybe get a superstar wide receiver because you're only paying your QB less than $10 million a year. And they have a great chance to win a Super Bowl with this. That, that's where they're struggling because Jimmy Garoppolo is costing too much money for the production he's been putting out. And if they can get a younger guy, I, I think Cal Shanahan realizes Jimmy Garoppolo isn't better than some rookie I can go pick up. So I think it's a very good move for the 49ers. And then, of course, the Dolphins, they'll take they move back three slots and they get an extra two first round picks and a third rounder. So they're obviously I mean, sitting pretty. First they traded back to 12 and then traded up to six with the Eagles. So yeah, net, they went back three spots, but got two first round pick. They traded away Laramie Tunzel for three Four first round picks and a third rounder. Absolutely crazy. So the dolphins are doing well. Um, and the Eagles, they'll take that an extra first rounder for moving back six spots. If they weren't looking for any, Signature I think, guy. I think what that means is that their number one receiver is Devontae Smith or Waddle. I think. Yeah, because Jamar Jamar Chase is probably going to go higher. Yeah, I think that I think he will be the first receiver off the board. Even though he opted out playing this past year, I still think he's the best receiver in the class. Even though Devontae Smith won the Heisman, um, and so I think I really think that's where the Eagles need to go, and I think that's the right thing because it clarifies that Jalen Hurts is. QB one, because yeah. I really for three years now no one knows who the starting quarterback in Philadelphia is. All right, so that obviously shook up the NFL for a little while, but we're gonna wait a little bit to discuss exactly who we think goes where in the NFL draft until we really get closer to it, and we'll have an official, not entire mock draft, but who we think um, are the signature players. Teams who didn't make the playoffs, first 16 mock draft. Right, exactly. So, Scott, now that free agency is pretty much at a close, most of the big names are off the board. I'm going to, I've got, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight quarterbacks that, um, that move teams that I think are big enough to give some grades for you um, on how well you think they fit with the team for the money they uh, gave up for either the players they gave up. Just give me a, a through F school grade on these quarterback signings, starting with the first one of the 2021 offseason, Matthew Stafford going to the Los Angeles Rams. Um, I'll start with him and then we'll do Jerry Goff after. I would, I would give that an A for two reasons. I think he's a major improvement from Jared Goff. He can actually throw the deep ball. The only thing Jared Goff was really good at was kind of rolling out and hitting the tight ends. Um, but then the main thing for me is I think it provides new life to this offense and they get rid of all of Jared Goff's cap. The He had a lot of dead cap space and the Rams found a way to clear that and that actually helped them this offseason, I think, kind of just bring new life in. I mean, currently the Lions have the most dead money with $41 million. That's all Jared Goff. Yeah, I really like the signing as well for um... – if they think they found their guy in Matthew Stafford, who's proven as a great quarterback, I think it's good. They obviously gave up a lot for him, but Scott, I would give it probably around a B plus because it would definitely be an A, but they did give up a couple first round picks um, and a younger QB for a guy who hasn't even won a playoff game in his decade long career. So moving on to Jared Goff, obviously this is definitely a downgrade, but overall with taking into account that Matthew Stafford wanted out, 
they got a couple of first rounders in a hall with Jared Goff. What do you think the Jared Goff overall signing um, is for the Detroit Lions? I mean, they did, I, as you said, they did get a, I don't remember exactly how many picks they got, but they got a decent amount. I think that's what they really wanted. Um, it was two first round picks and a third round pick. I think that's what the Lions needed. I mean, they're in rebuild mode. They know it. They let go of Kenny Galladay, Marvin Jones, and um, Matthew Stafford. So I think they're just building for the future from now on. So, so in conclusion, I would give it a solid C. Okay, yeah, I, I wouldn't passing, say anything. Passing. I wouldn't say anything higher than that. Okay, moving on to the next one. An interesting pickup for sure, one that I – wasn't a huge fan of, but Ryan Fitzpatrick agreeing to a one-year, $10 million deal with the football team. Scott, it felt like they could take a huge swing here, go for the home run with this number two overall defense from last year. What would you grade the Ryan Fitzpatrick signing as a 38-year-old going to the football team? Interesting is the way I would put it. I definitely, I agree with you. I think they definitely could have done a little bit better I do still think this makes them favorites in the NFC East just because it is a step up from Alex Smith, even though he is 39, as you said. Um, he's more mobile than Alex Smith, and I think that's what they were looking for. As great as it was to see Alex Smith come back, he's not going to be a quarterback that leads you to the playoffs. I don't think Ryan Fitzpatrick is going to lead the football team to the Super Bowl. But I do think this makes some legitimate playoff contenders with how strong that defense is. So I would give this a B minus. Yeah, I think that's about right because they could have gone for Deshaun Watson. Maybe they still will because remember, uh, they might still go for a QB in the draft because Ryan Fitzpatrick obviously isn't the long-term solution. So maybe they're going to try to get someone else. Maybe, who knows, they're even going for Heineke and just trying to coach him up I really don't like that I, I think it's the next Tim Tebow is Heineke because he's not going to do anything in the league no offense but he's a backup Scott next up Cam Newton going back to the Patriots on a deal where he can earn up to 13.6 million dollars in one year last year he was barely making anything now cost more money it was an underperforming year for Cam Newton, but now all these new signings coming in, Nelson Aguilar, uh, Kendrick Bourne coming in. Uh, how would you grade this Cam Newton signing based on the fact that he's going to have more weapons? The defense is only going to get better with those guys coming out of, um, out of the opt-out. And then also those two tight ends, of course, Hunter Henry um, and Jonu Smith. How do you think this Cam Newton signing is one year, 13 million? I would give this a B plus just because I think it's a great gap year. And I think it's hard to judge Cam Newton last year when his number one receiver was Nikhil Harry, who wasn't even on the field for most of the year. And I mean, their offense was just fully dysfunctional. They, as you said, they bring in Hunter Henry, they bring in Johnny Smith, they bring in Bourne and they bring in Aglor. I think this is kind of, the year where they truly analyzed Cam Newton. And I would not be surprised at all to see him draft one of those later quarterbacks. Obviously, they won't be getting Trey Lance or Trevor Lawrence or Zach Wilson, but I could see them maybe 
trading up just a little, trying to get whoever the Niners don't take, or just kind of game one of those late round QBs and seeing if they can develop him. So I think this is kind of a two-year process for the Patriots. But I think Cam Newton plays the mentorship role very well. Yeah, Tom Brady was a seventh-round pick, so you never know with Bill Belichick what he can do. I would would probably give this – you you said a B-plus. I would say probably – I would say a B plus or even an A minus because I don't I didn't really see anyone that they could go for that would be better than Cam Newton. They finished seven and nine with a lot of their team opting out. With Tom, when you have the best player of all time leave your team, don't expect to be. LeBron James left the Cavaliers. They're still rebuilding four years down the road. They're drafting point guards left and right. The fact that they finished seven and nine in a division with the emerging Buffalo Bills the great defense of the Miami Dolphins land the Jets, but that's not important. Uh, they they actually had, in my opinion, not as bad of a year as, as a lot of people thought. So next up, Ben Roethlisberger re-signing with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Scott, I'm interested. This is probably one of the more talked about signings because the Pittsburgh Steelers were 11-0 last year. He was looking great, but then things kind of fell apart and it culminated in that wild card round lost the uh, to the Cleveland Browns. I really dislike this signing. I think I would actually give this a D. Um, I don't think the Steelers, I think the Steelers saw their ceiling last year, but not in the beginning. I mean, Gabe, you and I talked about last year, the Steelers hadn't really played any strong teams in the beginning of the year. Their best win through like the first 11 weeks was against the Browns, who they ended up losing to. In the playoffs, then they lost to the Bills, Washington, um, the Bengals, teams like that. And, I mean, last year, Big Ben had – he had 33 touchdowns, but he's not really adapt for the modern game. He's not a mobile quarterback. He just kind of sits there and throws slants. Yeah, he doesn't look like Drew Brees or Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers. He's getting older. He's definitely – aging poorly no, I, I mean Drew Brees who retired made the right call I think him Drew Brees and Ben Roethlisberger were kind of in the same stage and Drew Brees made the right call and said I'm not right for the modern game and now the quarterback competitions between Taysom Hill who I mean he's a running back the modern game that is yeah. the modern game and Jameis Winston and I think Ben Roethlisberger should have called it when he when he had the opportunity I think the big, there's no way they win the Super Bowl with Ben Roethlisberger. And I think if you're Pittsburgh, that's sadly for um, the general manager and for Mike Tomlin, it's really every year at Super Bowl or bust because you're in such a historic backdrop whenever you walk into the Pittsburgh Steelers facility because there's all those Super Bowls with Terry Bradshaw and that era. And I think that re-signing an old quarterback that that lost, what, five out of the – they ended up losing – five out of their last six games, including that playoff game. And I think that having Ben Malisberger on a $14 million deal, they're paying him more than Cam Newton. I just agree with you, probably C minus, even maybe a C. Moving on, Dak Prescott, obviously the huge signing, $40 million a year. Scott, I actually, I I don't mind it. I'm going to give it a, a solid B because it's a lot of money for a guy that, hasn't shown he can really win without a A-plus running game with Ezekiel Elliott in that rookie year. And at the same time, 
he has shown, especially in those first few games this year, that he can put up a lot of numbers. And if they get their defense worked out and Jerry Jones gets out of his own way and realizes you shouldn't draft a wide receiver in the first round every year, they can actually build something with Dak Prescott, in my opinion. And I don't think it was a terrible signing at all, but it was a lot of money for Dak. Yeah, I mean, it was a four-year, $160 million contract. I actually like it. I would give it a solid A-. minus. Um, I think he's the... I think he's one of those underrated quarterbacks. He's a great leader. Um, I mean, just through four games, he had nine touchdowns and threw for 1,856 yards around there. Um, That's phenomenal. And I think he really is going to kind of be the tank of this offense. He's everything's going to run through Dak Prescott. And I think we saw, I think what made his contract is as soon as he went down, the Cowboys became the most, dysfunctional team in the NFL so much we saw I don't even remember his name Ben Ganucci Ben uh, Ganucci Ben yeah play against the Eagles and somehow cough up a oh, ball that was awful I mean, yeah they they went from one of the best offense to maybe the worst offense in the NFL and we saw Ezekiel Elliott's numbers drop severely so I think those two are a tandem and when one of them does well, the other can do really well when they're on the field at the same time. We'll see what he can do now that the offensive line isn't as isn't the best in the league like it was. Zeke started start off the year really strong. Yeah, he he definitely. Hopefully, he can get back to where he was because he was so fun to watch in his in his great days when he was in his first and second year. Scott, speaking of the Cowboys. Next one up is Andy Dalton, who played for the Cowboys last year, part of that dysfunctional offense like you talked about. Now he's with the Chicago Bears in, in my opinion, one of the saddest signings in NFL history. I liked Andy Dalton at the Bengals. They made the playoffs. They were kind of a sad story because everyone hated on the Bengals, but they were a decent team. They always felt like they exceeded expectations a little bit. And now... Chicago Bears fans, they wanted Russell Wilson. They were promised Russell Wilson. They said, we are going to do everything in our power to get Russell Wilson. And now they end up with Andy Dalton. And it seems like Russell Wilson's kind of happy again. He's watching his sister play for in the tournament. He's cheering her on. He's going to be behind an offensive line that looks like it's going to be improving, especially if they get a draft pick. And now the Bears are stuck with the uh, the redheaded Andy Dalton. I don't know why I said that, but that's that's about all I can say about Andy Dalton because it felt like an awful signing. I'm going to give it a low F. I would make him retake the class. For <laughs> this is, um, I mean, this is fail. I mean, the Bears promised their franchise. They they went for the home run and they striked out watching the pitch. Is what I'm calling this. Um, yeah, they didn't get to Sean Watson or Russell Wilson. And what really did for me is they didn't even get Mitchell Trubisky back, who I think is better Absolutely. than Andy Dalton. So not only did they, they could have kept the same level or gone better. Those were the two main options. And they somehow got <laughs> worse by going for a player that, I mean, just had a career low year. And so I, I really think they kind of, they dropped the bag. I mean, Andy Dalton this past year, he played 11 games and he had 14 touchdowns and eight interceptions. Yeah, that's not, he's not, I would say if this was a team like, let's say the Jaguars didn't have the first pick or let's say 
you're a team like, I don't know, the Eagles or something, or Jalen Hurts, he might not be the guy. But this is a Chicago Bears defense that was elite and I think still is elite. They have Allen Robinson that they got on the franchise tag. They're well, playing the playoffs last year was yeah. that they had, or sorry, the Bears last year got to the playoffs due to their strong defense. David Montgomery is emerging as a, a top 10 back in the NFL. Allen Robinson's great. And now they're here with Andy Dalton. I don't know what they're doing. Scott, finally, a, a story I think we're both rooting for. We both love the team, in my opinion, because maybe me because of Andrew Luck and just they're very well run. You love Jonathan Taylor. And of course, the Colts are a fun team to watch. They're, they're well coached. But Carson Wentz, I think this is my highest graded, my highest graded quarterback signing of, of the day of the free agency because they didn't give up that much. I think it's a third round pick and then like a conditional second round. It can be up to three first round picks. Yeah, they gave up because the if if Carson Wentz plays seventy five percent of his snaps or more, then it'll be a first round pick. So they gave up a decent amount, but I think Carson Wentz is a franchise QB. We saw what he did with Frank Reich when he had that MVP type half a year. He's a monster athlete, six five, fast, tall, fits the offense really well. Michael Pittman looks good. They re-signed Ty Hilton. I really like this signing. I think he's going to feel comfortable behind the best offensive line in the league. And Jonathan Taylor will be there every step of the way. This is definitely a more comfortable place for Carson Wentz to be. And I think he's really going to thrive there. Yeah. I would give this an a, not an a plus. If it was solely Carson Wentz, I'd give an a plus because I think he's going to fit the system perfectly. Um, The reason why I'm giving an a is they didn't really sign any receivers for him. I mean, yes, they re-signed, T.Y. Hilton, but I don't really think he's, you know, the, right. the true QB1. Frank Reich and Carson Wentz, they worked together in Philadelphia when Carson Wentz had his MVP caliber season. Um, so I like it. I think, as you said, I think he'll do a lot better under this offense and obviously one of the best offensive lines in the NFL. I actually have Carson Wentz as my dark horse for MVP. I really think there's a he can get back to that form because I mean the problem with Philadelphia was obviously he didn't play great, but they also had a really weak team. I mean their yeah. number one their number one receiver was Travis Fulgham. So if you <laughs> asked me before last year, no one would know who he was. Yeah. So Scott, your top QB signings: Matthew Stafford, Dak Prescott, Cam Newton. Carson Wentz couldn't agree more. I think those are really the the top ones. I think Cam Newton actually is a very dark horse. My dark horse candidate is, is going to be Justin Herbert. I think he's got a great shot, but I definitely like all those quarterbacks. Scott, uh, quickly, I'll, before we get into um, a little bit of a wrap-up with the NBA trade, di- trade deadline, I wanted to get your quick reaction on the 17-game season because it's supposed to be announced that the NFL will be moving on this year to a 17-game season where – Instead of having, obviously, one less game, now they're going to have an extra game. Scott, for me, these past two years, there's been two main schedule, uh, schedule, scheduling changes. First one is the loss of one by team and then an increase uh, in a playoff team. So we saw seven playoff teams, only one by. And now this year, we're getting an extra game. I really think what they're doing is weeding out the possibilities at 
a decent team making it to the Super Bowl. We've seen it with uh, in years past. The Ravens um, with Joe Flacco made it. The Eagles felt like a good team, but the well, Vikings. The Ravens, the Ravens won. Right. I'm saying no, no. I'm saying Joe Flacco. In my opinion, that wasn't obviously Ray Lewis was great, but just as an example, um, we saw Case Keenum and the Vikings almost make it, which would have been weird. But in the first year that we saw only one by team and more playoff teams, we saw Tom Brady versus Patrick Mahomes. And I think that's what they're trying to go for, where it values the number one seed even more. So the great teams are getting even more of an advantage. And that's in future years probably going to be Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson. Those guys are going to get even bigger of an advantage. It also advantages the number five wild card seed because now there's more wild card teams. So in reality, getting the five seed is going to be even bigger advantage because you're playing against worse teams going down the road. Uh, we saw that with Tom Brady. He had to play the Washington football team and then didn't have to worry about playing a two seed uh, or anything like that. They got to play another team that had just played a game in the New Orleans Saints. So Scott, what do you think about the 17 game season? What are the pros and cons for you? Just give me your overall thoughts. Well, I think first off, I go with the pros. Obviously we get to watch more football. I think that's the, that's the biggest one that stands out to me. One more week or one more week of red zone. Um, Yeah. But I mean, I think there's a lot of cons to this. I think a lot of records are going to be broken. I think that's kind of I mean, I think Peyton Manning's passing record will be broken. Someone will find a way to break Megatron's receiving record and Dickerson's rushing record. I mean, one game is a lot for statistics when it comes down to it. Um, but really, I think it's player safety. I think they're valuing revenue more than player safety because, I mean, every week there's a very high chance of injury. It's the NFL. These players are flying at each other. Yeah at extreme speeds. And I mean, we've, we've seen a lot of those injuries come to light really in the past few years. With that said, I do think it will definitely create a true divide in the playing field. A lot of times we see teams go eight and eight and make the playoffs at that record. I now think it's going to be, you truly have to be above 500. You have to be that nine and eight team to make the playoffs. Yeah, and I we talked about this in our freshman year. So two years ago, we talked about the possibility of this happening. And I mentioned we're familiar with the numbers with the March Madness seeds are 16 and 1 versus 16 and 0. I don't know. That doesn't really matter. But another thing, in my opinion, is let's take Patrick Mahomes, for example. Let's play, let's say he plays for 16 years. If he was playing for 16 years on a 16 game schedule, um, and then let's say he reincarnated and played 17, 16 years on a 17 game schedule. That's an extra season entirely Patrick, a franchise QB is going to be playing in his career. So we're really taking away an entire season for a player to win a Super Bowl, which definitely is going to be it would not detrimental to all if this becomes a three-year, two, three-year experiment and it gets major backlash from the players and then they go back to the 16th. Oh, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if we see a holdout in the future because there's going to be more injuries. We'll see if they add in another bye week to extend it a little bit more. Uh, we'll have to see the official guidelines of how this is all going to work out. But, Scott, before we close out the show, give me your two favorite f- 
trade deadline moves from the NBA because we're still obviously an NFL talk, but the NBA playoffs are actually around the corner. So give me, now that the trade deadline's over, your biggest moves for contenders that you think have a chance now to make a push at those two juggernauts with the Nets and the Lakers. Well, um, I start off by saying I was a Magic fan. Yeah, you were a Magic fan. It was a tough trade deadline. (laughs) Um, I think there was really three things that really came to me. First off was that the Raptors still want to remain repetitive, or they want to be competitive because they kept Kyle Lowry. They did trade away normal power, but they got Gary Trent Jr., who I think actually has some good value. And then... I, I think the trade deadline wasn't as interesting as the buyout players. Obviously, we saw Blake Griffin go to the Nets right before the trade deadline. And then within these past few days, we've seen LaMarcus Aldridge sign a $5.8 million contract with the Nets because I guess Kevin Durant didn't have enough help. Hey, hey, hey. So, so LeBron decided to get some help and called in Andre Drummond, who's, I believe, still in his 20s. Yeah, he's uh-huh. the best rebounder in the league. Yeah, I mean, I th- I think they really. I mean, this year he's been, he's been good. I, this year he's averaged 17 points a game, um, 13 rebounds a game. So I think they really got that. But in terms of the trade deadline, I think I'd have to go favorite move. That's a hard one, but I think the team that really profited is gonna end up being the Bulls. I think. There was one all-star that got traded, and it was Nikola Vucevic. Um, and I think why it went so well for them is that's going to help them retain Zach Levine heading into next year. Yeah, they definitely show that they're, they're in a win-now mode. I, the Bulls definitely are a team that going forward with Zach Levine, um, Kobe White is also a good shooter, a good player. He was a high draft pick. My winner, actually, is probably going to be the Miami Heat. The start of the year, they were really oh, struggling. Oh, yeah. They were struggling real a lot early, and people said, "Oh, look, there it was. There's the fluke. We were talking about it. The bubble, the bubble fluke. We knew it was coming. One team was just going to fall off, and there it was. And now Jimmy Butler has and Bam Adebayo have really shown that they they he was injured, of course, early, but they've turned it around. Then they get another guy in Victor Oladipo, who although they lost like 80 straight games with the Rockets, he's a he's a good player. He's going to get you 20 a night." And I think he adds one more piece that the that the Heat really need to, I wouldn't say compete with the Nets. I, I think the NBA is back into that Warriors mode, which I, in, not, in all honesty, with these two, it used to be the Warriors versus LeBron. Now it's these two juggernauts that are going to have the same two players. They just move teams. Yeah, exactly. It's going to be interesting uh, going forward. A Nets-Lakers finals would get the most rate, no, ratings I mean, in a long time. I, I don't think you can fully yet rule out the Clippers or I the Bucks. I think the, the Clippers, Bucks, six 76ers, yeah. Yeah. I think there's really five teams left outside of the Lakers and Nets. The Jazz, I don't think the Jazz are really there quite yet. Yeah, I mean, yeah, but I think I think the five teams left are the Sixers who are leading the East still, the Bucks who are a game and a half behind the Nets as we're recording this. I don't think I can throw in Boston or Miami. They just haven't been dominant this year. And then I would go with the Clippers, the Nuggets, because they're a really well-coached team. And then I know you and I have disagreed on this all year long, the Utah Jazz. The Phoenix Suns 
no, I can't throw the Phoenix Suns in there. They just, they're just not built to win it, even compete for a championship. LeBron would just go to town on them, in my opinion. He would have a huge day. Anthony Davis inside. When you're going in a seven-game series against LeBron and AD and now Drummond, I don't think there's any way the Suns can compete. So I think, Scott, I know you're right, but I think Adam Silver's salivating at a Nets-Lakers finals, the amount of ratings that would get with fans possibly back in the crowd. uh, That would be a huge revival for the NBA. Really, and what's been, for the past five or so years, kind of a dark age for the NBA because you have this guy, Steph Curry, who's reinventing the game. But at the same time, it's kind of been boring to watch the finals when there's just sweeps left and right. Um, Everyone knew the Lakers were going to win, but I'm interested to see the NBA going forward, how Luka and Zion are going to kind of take over the league. Scott, the final word, who do you think is the future of the NBA? Is it Luka? Is it Zion? Is it Giannis? Who's your number one guy right now? Future of the league, that's a hard one. I think I'm going to have to go. I think Luca's up there. I think I have to go with Zion Williamson. I mean, he's kind of, I know he's been really under the radar this year. Made his first All-Star game in just his second season. Um, he's putting up career numbers. I'm, there was some accolade he made that basically tied him with Shaq as being the only ones to ever do it. Um, he's averaging 26 points this year seven rebounds and three assists. Who's ever thought Zion's going under the radar now? <laughs> it's true though. I'm yeah. I mean, if I had to really pick one name, as much as I hate to say this, it's Lamella Ball. <laughs> I knew you would say that. Honestly, I agree. I think Zion is going to be the guy going forward. Watch out in the NBA draft, a guy named Evan Mobley. I just think he's going to be so good in the league. He could even be Another guy, no matter where he goes, that could change the game with how fast he is and how good of a shot blocker he is. But there's, I think the NBA is in a bright place, and we'll get toward it more going into the future. Um, but, Scott, I think that's going to close it out for today. Thank you, everyone, so much for listening to the GPS show here on 88.9 The Bridge. A reminder, once again, you can listen to us on Spotify. Just search up the GPS show, and we'll be back this Friday from 5 to 6 p.m. for more talk on the NBA, the NFL, and everything sports only on 88.9 The Bridge.